episode 622 of The Sleeper and the Buzzed. It is Tuesday, December 18th, and it's another Fireside Chat. I'm your host, Paul Spore, and I am joined by Nick Pollock. Nick, how's it going? What is happening? I'm happy to be doing this again. It's been, uh, what, two weeks? It's been a little while, yeah. We've uh, obviously had, you know, the winter meetings pass. We've had uh, uh, the offseason kind of continue to labor on, but we did finish our draft. So we're at we're back for part three to finish up the uh, PL Experts mock draft discussion where we kind of go round by round, really focused on our teams. But as players jump out, uh, as we kind of go through these last few rounds, 17 through 23, we'll talk about different players as well, because, I mean, that was the whole purpose of, of doing these. Yes, we're talking about our teams, the team itself doesn't really matter it's really a jump off to talk about a, a lot of interesting guys as we kind of get through uh through the winter here so let's just dive right back into it here round 17 uh for those that, that a little refresher we ended uh 16 the last podcast with nick pavetta for you kent to for me by the way we pick right next to each other if anyone's forgotten we're second and third slots so we loop right back around Rasball took Harrison Bader and Alex Colome. And then I came back with Hunter Renfro and you had Ahmed Rosario. So we took polar opposite players and yet two very exciting ones. In fact, if if one of us had made those our 16 and 17 picks, that would have been a really interesting duo because of what they do. Obviously, Renfro, major power. Rosario has some good speed. I think he'll have some good runs scored if he's near the top of that lineup. And he could be a batting average asset, too. He had a really good uh, flourish to the season. In fact, both of them finished nicely in, in this season. But let's talk about Renfro first. I think when we were talking about him, you expressed that, that maybe you, were, you would have had some interest in him, too, had he been available what do you think of, of Hunter Renfro and what he could do in a full season? Is this a 35 home run hitter capable here, or is it uh, more of that high 20s where we acknowledge the great power, but he never quite quite jumps up? I mean, he had 18 home runs in August and September last year. It was nasty. Combined. Not each. He was winning, he was winning leagues. He was winning leagues there. Right. 26 home runs in uh, just under 450 plate appearances. The power is legit. Uh, it always has been 26 home runs in 480 plate appearances in 2017. And the Brewers are getting better. I really like this pick. I was kind of hoping yes. I could uh, get that, get Renfro later on, possibly. I mean, easy. we'll talk about later. I have some other bats that are like Renfro, but I, I prefer him. Uh, Hunter you, you took over one I love, ones. by the way. Um, you took one I love. That, 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 I can't wait to talk about it. You, t- you took one of his teammates who's similar, so we'll get that. Right. Obviously, that's Fernando Reyes. I'll spoil that one. But we'll get to him later. But uh, you took another one that I really love. I mean, it's always dangerous, just but just to look at it, not saying that that's what it is, because when you hit 18 in two months, it's hard to extrapolate that at all. But just extrapolating Renfro's full season, you get 611 plate appearances, 37 homers. And even if you take last year, fold that into the mix it's very similar it was 26 homers as well 26 homers each of the last two years in 479 and 441 basically he's a 35 homer guy in 600 plus plate appearances we got to get him those plate appearances though whether it's staying healthy or proving that he he deserves to be in the lineup for that whole time and i think renfro should get a green light because he had a big improvement against righties this year um and it was really the power because 245 average isn't great 293 on base is really troubling, but he hit 18 of his homers against righty. So it was a 519 slug, and that really sustained him because coming up, he's been a bit of a, a lefty killer with, with a little bit of struggles against right-handers. But last year, he was really balanced, 803-809 OPS. Do you believe that he can get to a level where they're comfortable using Hunter Renfro against righties 
consistently so he gets those 600 plate appearances because at that point I do believe he can chase down the uh, the 30 30 plus homers. Well, it's interesting. I mean, the Padres are in this position where they you know what they might be competitive. This is the joke I've been making the entire offseason, but I uh, they might just let him go. It might just be, "Hey, Hunter, just see what you can do." And I would just be do. shocked if they don't really do that because why not? Let him at least try this. You know, he's He's 26 now. Let him go. Just just let him go and try and see what he does. He'll be 27 for next year. And he definitely could hit 30 home runs easily. It's it's right there in the cards. And we'll be talking about this more even with someone else that you took as well. There are a lot of high upside home run guys at this point in the draft. And I really do like chasing one or two of them and hoping to get the right lottery ticket. Renfro is one of my favorite ones here. So I really like this pick from you. Yeah, I was, I was excited to, to lock Renfro in. I do think he's somebody that uh, that does have a little upside here. But even if I only got another 26 homer season with a challenged batting average, I wouldn't really be at a loss either. So he's got a stable floor for where you're paying for Hunter Renfro. Let's talk about your pick, Ahmed Rosario, uh, former top prospect. I think quietly, if you if you didn't have him on a team or had any reason to pay attention to the Mets last year, I think he quietly had a strong finish to the season and, and kind of rallied. Ended up with nine homers, 24 stolen bases, but did a lot in the second half there. The 676 OPS is not going to jump off the page. The 294 uh, OBP is going to make you throw up, in fact. But again, <laughs> it was what he did in the summer going into the, uh, into the finish line there. His second half specifically – was 268, 302, 383. Uh, but then if you just kind of lop off J- July and look at what he did in August, five homers, 15 stolen bases, 284 average, 318 OBP, and a, a 414 slug. So those final two months is when Rosario really got going. He should be free and clear for playing time this year at shortstop for them because I believe he has a pretty solid glove as well. Ahmed Rosario somebody that I think, again, if you have the floor of kind of getting a repeat, that works, but there's upside here. What did you think of 23-year-old Ahmed Rosario? Well, I didn't have a shortstop at this point, and I think we even talked about it at the end of our last cast that I was probably going to take Rosario here. Mm-hmm. I I actually pair him up with someone else, my last pick, as a safety blanket, just in case. Um, and we'll talk about that later, but with Rosario, I needed some stolen bases, too. Hicks, uh, let's see, Hicks and Ciarte. And that's about it are my main stolen base guys. Oh, yeah, and Jose Ramirez, my first pick. Yeah. So I wanted something a little bit more. Uh, I don't really have your Malik Smith types or your Mondesi or Merrifield, etc. And Rosario, 24 stolen bases last year. As you mentioned, 12 stolen bases in the last two months. Actually, more than that, 15. 15, uh, yeah. 7 and 8 in August and uh, September. That could turn to 30 stolen bases for a year with a 270-280 average. That sounds great to me from shortstop where I waited until the 17th round to fill in that position. So I'm pretty happy with it. As you mentioned, there is still upside here. Uh, Nine home runs could jump up to 15 possibly. Maybe that's a little fortunate. Maybe 10 to 12, something like that. I'm cool with it as long as I'm getting those stolen bases, which I think he'll do. Yeah, and I, I mentioned that uh, maybe the run scored could be up there if he bat yes. top the yeah, he, he, he likely won't. Um, Nimmo, Cano, Conforto, uh, now Ramos up there. That that's probably kind of their their top four. I don't know where Todd Frazier fits in there because there are three lefties there. Um, but you never know how a season can play out. And if he got that on base on track, uh, then he is kind of that traditional speedster at the top of the lineup. But he'd have to get the on base up above 300. Otherwise, they can't really put him up there. Now, he had about right, 320 the last two months. So maybe see, that, that does happen. 
that would play a lot more than than the sub 300. Right, so let's exactly. hope you can kind of keep that or even build on it. So going through round 17, there were some really interesting picks, particularly on the, the pitching landscape here. Forrest Whitley went right after you. Then our boy Josh James went mm-hmm. later in the round. And another boy that that I I love, I, I think you like him too, yes, Jimmy I Nelson. Do, yeah. went. And uh, so that there were a lot of uh, bullets kind of taken off my board there with the, with those three. And even Tyler Skaggs I thought was a pretty good yeah. pick in the 17th oh, it's round. A great round. A great pick uh, by Mason. Yeah, a lot of good stuff done in this round. Let's focus on James and Nelson specifically. Uh, as the seasons as the offseason's kind of worn on, where, where have you kind of landed with, with James? Is he moving up? You did a piece recently on six guys that you've changed on your board um, before, before you put out your next set of, of SP rankings. But James is somebody that you had pretty high. Are you still c- convicted that they're going to start him in the rotation, give him a real spot? Because he is coming in at age 26. He's a younger guy or you know, a, a fresher guy in terms of uh, major league playing time. But he's not some 22-year-old young buck that they need to keep down for forever. I think if he's ready, if the bullets are there to be uh, used, I think Josh James should start in the rotation. Do you think that the Astros give him that opportunity? Well, I mean, nothing's really happened for the Astros as far as a rotation thus far. We've seen Charlie Morton at least leave. We know that yep, 100% now. Uh, we haven't heard about Keiko, but I'd be surprised at this point if the Astros do sign him. Uh, it does seem like he's going elsewhere. Uh, yeah, I thought Morton was the more likely of the two. Exactly, so really same here, yeah. Conv- convinced that they just don't let either come back. Exactly, and- which does open the door for Josh James. Um, and I really like this pick. I was hoping that he would come around for uh, for my next pick. I mean, all of those, Nelson and Skaggs in there. Uh, there was one other. Um, Joe Musgrove went, though, I thought Joe was Joe Musgrove cool. just missed us, and he was <laughs> he was my target at that point. I, mean, in fact, I, w- I would have the, still the guy done right my guy. Too. Kyle Tucker and Joe Musgrove were my or my top guys, and and they both went right before you picked. Um, but uh, but for Josh James, he actually hasn't moved in mine. I still I, there are certain guys that have leapfrogged him. Like I wrote about Nathan Eovaldi, which I'm sure that you agree with yep. uh, going up. Uh, but outside, and there's also Kikuchi as well as entering right above James. But at the same time, I think I'm going to be a little bit lower on Cole Hamels. Uh, I think he's going to fall underneath a little bit. Uh, but I still feel that Josh James should be going around the 50 starting pitcher when you get to the moment of taking your chances. You're Shane Bieber, you're Andrew Heaney. I want to be going after Josh James. I think he has this nice path at the moment, and he has all the tools necessary to really take advantage of it. Yeah, I, still, I don't quite have him up there, but I have bumped him up. I'm really excited about him for sure. I just uh, I, I, I want that certainty. Although uh, one that. thing about drafting around this point is that you can kind of arbitrage uh, the market a little bit and, and, and make plays on guys like that where you're going to get them a little bit cheaper before they have that established spot. So there is some some value to that. Obviously, this is a mock, but some people are doing drafts that are going to go live. So you take some of these speculative picks, you get them five, six, seven rounds later than they'll normally go if because if josh james comes into the season with a with a slot i think he's kind of a 11th 12th rounder especially yeah. if he has a good spring to go with it definitely and then also if you're worried about that consistency there are a lot of options later in the draft that will provide that so for me i would rather go after the the higher ceiling one now and then back that up with a safer pick if i am worried about it later on I mean, you had john lester go in the 19th round you got someone uh, i don't want to spoil in the 20th round that i would put yeah. in that category 
even even my last pick, if he's healthy, sure, it, yeah. it would be uh, that stable uh, old older veteran type of guy. So you're definitely spot on there, and that's what's going to lead me toward taking the Whitleys, the Jameses, the Nelsons. Actually, Whitley third of them because I really think that he fits more of that mold of the young guy who they can keep down and say, hey, right. we're going to go with, with McHugh, James, Fromber Valdez, Brad Peacock. You know, we're going to work it through that way and then let Whitley get some AAA time and at least get through those first couple weeks and then yeah, look at bringing him up. Definitely. Also, Whitley's not on the 40-man, so he'd re- he'd require a move that way. So you have to keep that in mind. So Josh James and, and Nelson and Skaggs, all three, definitely ahead of Whitley, even though Whitley went before them just because of the time that he could come up. Right. Uh, all right, let's loop around here to the 18. 18- round we had uh, Alex Wood Roman Quinn Freddie Peralta Freddie Peralta is another guy that I like uh, that's an interesting guy that you can kind of arbitrage I'm on so because undecided. I'm so undecided well and, and but again if you're taking him here it's going to be it's well, going right, to be late right. because uh, we don't know what what he's going to be we don't know what they're going to do they've got uh, obviously I think Nelson healthy gets a spot guaranteed in fact I think he's arguably going to be their ace but uh, that's just my excitement on him but he's going he's going to be in the rotation but then you get guys like uh uh, Corbin Burns, Brad, Brandon Woodruff, who I really like, and Freddie Peralta there, they're going to be really battling along with their kind of group of, of steady Eddies, the Chassines, the the Andersons, the Davies. They're going to kind of be set there. Nelson's going to be set, and that fifth spot's going to be Woodruff, Burns, Peralta. Right. And which one do you go with? Do you lean toward one of those three, or are you just leaving that, that mess to the side because it is so muddied? I mean uh... – uh, even those three guys, I'm not the hugest fans. I think they're the warts with them are too big for me outside of actual just playing time. Corbin okay. Burns, I'm a little more intrigued on. Woodruff, I have my doubts about. Um, I don't really trust his fastball that much. Uh, and Peralta is such a weird entity to me. I mean, he's the easy encapsulation of my term cherry bomb, where he is super sure. sweet sometimes and then just blows up because he relies so heavily on that fastball that has great cut movement on it, cut action, but there's nothing else there. And sometimes that fastball is just working and it's great where you can have 12 strikeouts in cores or sometimes you get blown up for five earned runs in like two innings <laughs> and you'll walk six guys along the way. And I don't really know if I can trust him to ever take that leap where we don't have incredible anxiety throwing him out there every single time. So that makes me a little hesitant. While someone like Josh James or even the pick I just made, Michael Soroka, I could see them turning that gear where I don't have that anxiety with them every start where it's a 50-50 coin flip each time they go out there. So that that's how I feel about Peralta. I'm a little more hesitant to buy into because, look, let's say he has two great weeks out of the gate or three and he's looking excellent. I still can't say that that's it I can't uh, I can say with more conviction with the other guys that oh cool this is who they are more so than Freddie Peralta because it could just go away with a snap of the fingers I feel with him well yeah and you know the way they are kind of fluid with their pitching I I don't see I I see a potential where they would just um, you know not keep him in a steady role either for Freddie Peralta in Milwaukee so that's definitely something to keep keep uh, in mind Paul DeYoung Michael Gibbons Michael Waka as I mentioned Cal Tucker and Joe Musgrove two guys I was really eyeing here Yadi Molina and then we get to your Soroka pick now I really love what Soroka was able to do last year 
in that in that brief glimpse that we saw I, I saw a lot that I liked it was unfortunate that he got hurt uh, in fact he was kind of a key part uh, of an NL only team I had and I was I was kind of thinking that we were going to get a nice second half out of him he was only 20 you know it's not like I was expecting the world but you, when you're in a deep league you kind of like those pieces that you think are going to nice, be nice and solid um it looks like he's going to be fully healthy, so I don't have major concerns about that right now. All the reports are saying he's going to be ready and raring to go for, for 2019. What is a, a realistic projection for him? Obviously, the upside is there, but but what are you what are you projecting? So build in some some um, safety there. Like what what are you expecting? Not versus what what is the peak? Because the peak is still, I think, very high for Soroka. But what do you, what are you kind of expecting for 19? Yeah, that's interesting. Um... If he has that fifth spot, which is such a if, considering the Braves not only have a lot of depth inside of the rotation now, but they have so many young arms ready to go. It's it's absurd. I actually was writing about why I'm lower on Tuki Dusant for mm-hmm. that for that article today that you mentioned, why I originally had him in the low fifties and now Tuki Dusant's gonna be in the early eighties. But here's a list of other young options the Braves had for starting pitching. Bryce Wilson, Max Freed, uh, Fried, Freed, oh no. Freed. Freed, thank you. <laughs> it, I mean, it says Fried, but it's Freed. It's pronounced Freed. It says Fried, though, F-R-I-E-D. But uh, You can go to the Freed. tape. That was my first instinct. Uh, Kyle Wright, Colby Allard, and of course, Luis Gohara as well. They got pitching for days. But then they're for- I still think they're going to trade some of it, by they the way. Have, I would imagine, but then there's also talks of them getting Keuchel. There's uh, Mike Fultonevich, Newcomb, Gaussman, and Tehran already in the rotation. If you ask me, yeah. Tehran and Newcomb shouldn't be in it, but whatever, that's fine. But they're going to be. Right, but, I mean, they They're, they're going to be, though. They're they're established to, to a degree in Tehran more so, but they're going to be, plain and simple. So I, I currently have Soroka at 50. I probably will lower him a bit just because of that uncertainty. Uh, and it does bring a massive haze over, will Soroka get the innings? Let's say Soroka gets 150. That's just the kind of fun number I like to throw in for a lot of these young guys. Let's say it's 150. Okay. I would see a guy that does about a 3.5, 3.6 ERA. Okay. Um, and I think that 18.5% K rate that you see in 25 innings is not well, enough representative. That is, is not what upside there. Oh, definitely. I see I see more to like 20 to two, 22 to 25 uh, from Soroka, I, I just, if you see him pitch, his fastball is so brilliant. He really does utilize four-seamer and sinker. I could even argue that he has three where he gets more ride on that two-seamer and then emphasizes its vertical drop and others. We saw it in his debut, and it blew me away. Well, he's even had swinging strike rate uh, in the 27 innings that we did see. Uh, swinging strike rate was commensurate with something in the 21 to 23% range for his strikeout rate, and we only got a 19%. In the minors, he was much higher. As a young guy, too, I mean, he was scaling the minors. You know, he was in double A at 19, he was in triple A for a brief spell 27 innings uh, at, at age 20 last year and so the fact is he's kind of uh learning on the job but he's so advanced that they felt he was ready i do wonder if that age is going to give them an excuse to kind of you know keep him in the uh in the minors for just a little bit to start the season but even if you, he's down there for a couple weeks just to begin the year i don't think that really derails him or really alters what you're doing here in the 18th round with a pick like mike soroka right i, I really feel this Give me 150 innings, and I'll feel so confident every time he goes yep. out there. Uh, he, yeah. he He's one of those pitchers where we sometimes talk about like the mental game being a negative. I think for him, it's very much of a positive. 
Um, he's even talked a lot about his slider, that he's still working on it, and how he's adapting it as he goes. He also has that changeup, which I really think will be a strong compliment. It had an 18% plus swing strike rate last year in the limited sample that we had from him. And even that, just this multiple fastballs and his changeup should be enough. And then that slider he's developing. And he even says, like, oh, yeah, I'm throwing it in a couple times because I know it's not very good. So I have a moment where I can maybe figure it out a little bit. So I'll throw it. Uh, I love it. I, I really think he's uh, a guy that we'll talk about him in five years as being a premier talent in the game. Yeah, I'm, I'm very intrigued by Soroka as well, and I think that it's going to be really interesting to kind of see how that uh, how that uh, rotation plays out. Because as you mentioned, they're one of the few teams we haven't heard a lot of Keiko rumors, but they're one of the teams that's involved. And I do want to see what happens with with that uh, rotation but again that's where you can get some arbitrage and you can buy in on your Toussaint's and your Sorokas and and maybe even some of the younger guys if you want super cheap like like a Kobe Howard or um, Gohar by the way all those guys we named are on the 40 man so they do have a lot of pitching on the 40 man that's something I definitely look at when I'm taking young guys because then they don't require a move to get them uh, onto the major league club so keep keep that in mind as well my next pick was a little bit boring in fact both of them were just really trying to get some saves to go with my Jose LeClerc I took Will Smith Um, it looks like he should be the guy in San Francisco they're not going to be a very good team I'm really just hoping for a decent season and and you know 30 something saves it is always a risk when you take a, a closer on a bad team that they could get moved. In fact, LeClerc would, would obviously carry some of that risk, although he's so young that I think they would, they'd be more incentivized to just kind of hang on to him. Mm-hmm. But Will Smith is not necessarily that. He's 29 years old and he's a lefty, uh, so he'll have a lot of appeal in the market. I'm not even 100% sure he'll have the job, but I took him. Right now he's kind of still in, uh, penciled into that role. I went with him and then just to kind of pair it with my other one, I took A.J. Minter, who isn't penciled in right now, Rodas Vizcaino is. I'm just trying to get some saves here. We don't really have to spend too much time on my two picks I do have a really fun stat about Will Smith. Would love to hear it. Slider, swing strike rate, 30%. Oh, my. Yes. It is an incredible pitch. He he threw it under 300 times, and it had 11.4 P-Val. If you don't realize, P-Val is an accumulation stat. Yes. So to get an 11.4 on just 295 total thrown is absurdly high and amazing. It's an incredible pitch. I really think that he should be the closer. It's an overall swing strike rate of 15% and 34% really cut his walk rate. Rate last year I really too. like this pick from you. Thank you. I, and I hope that he gets the uh, hope, hope that he gets the saves here, but we'll see. And then, like I said, um, AJ Minter is not necessarily slotted in right now with the Rodas Vizcaino there. I'm not that worried about it. I, I still like him, even if Vizcaino is somebody that that vultures a few saves. One of my bold predictions coming into this year was that he could get 100 strikeouts just because he is so nasty. He really didn't get going for a while. And honestly, it, it, it took very little. I know we you're not supposed to panic like too early into a season when he didn't have a strikeout for like his first five appearances. I was like, that prediction is literally dead already, (laughs) because if you're going to get 100 strikeouts as a reliever, you can't you you almost can't have any uh, strikeout list outings, let alone four. It was four straight to open the season. So I was like, that one's that one's in the tank. But uh, he ended up rallying, finished with a nice 69 strikeouts in 61 innings, um, and even ended up with 15 saves. So Rodas Vizcaino's health has long been an issue. 
Now, Minter being the lefty, uh, you know, they, they don't favor lefties for for closers role, closer roles. And I understand that Vizcano, I think, will at least start with the role. But I think Minter will be there to get some. I think they could be a team that plays matchups, too. And so he'll get some vulture saves that way. And I am hoping for just good ratios and a bunch of strikeouts. I still think that without that uh, that kind of mediocre to, to poor start that Minter had, he, he can push at least 80, 85 Ks, maybe not the 100. That was, of course, a, a bold prediction for a reason. But if you look at what he did from July on, just the last three months of the season, he had a boat boatload of strikeouts. He had 35 in 27 innings. So that projects to about 85 in a full season. So that's Minter. Let's move on. Let's talk about Fran Mill Reyes, your pick, who is, um, you know, a real Analog or you know, real comparison for Hunter Renfro, kind of a younger Hunter Renfro. He also had a beastly second half there where he was doing damage that uh, you scooped him up off the wire in mixed leagues and and got a lot of value out of him. Now he's almost been a supercharged Renfro because he had a 280 average and a 340 OBP along with the exquisite power. So uh, I, I assume that since you didn't get Renfro, you figure, you know, let me get the next best thing here and take Fran Mil Reyes, who popped 10 homers in the last two months with a 318, 385, 548 triple slash. T- talk to us about uh, Fran Mil Reyes. How ridiculous is that average? <laughs> a 280? Over, insane. Over about 300 plate appearances? What? Oh man, uh, yeah, he was batting over 300 the last two months of the year as he as he hit 10 home runs. Everyone knows that the power is super real here. It's a 70 raw power. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's nuts. So sure, why not? I'll take the chance that his 28% K rate drops. Um, it, it's I don't want to say Aaron Judge because I think Judge was still a little bit better of a of, had a better hit tool. Than Fran Mill Reyes did, but at the same time, we stayed away from him because that carry was so bad, and he improved on it while the power yes. stayed. So it's not out of the question, of course, that Reyes fixes it. He's only 23; uh, he'll be 24 in the middle of July. Sure, why not? It could be a 30 home run season here with like a 260 average. Let's go for it. Yeah, I think that that totally works. Um, and so. That, that that's that's going to be what we're going to go with with uh with mr fran mill reyes all right let's move on and keep going let's see anybody in this 19th round honeywell alfaro marwin kepler cody allen john lester Dylan batances ty buttery and uh, manuel margot that that jumps out to you that you want to discuss i mean it's it's interesting to see honeywell um there are gonna be yeah. a lot of questions about that i obviously his draft stock will change one way or another by the time I we love get him, to but not March. for 19. Well, the thing is that he's going to be on your DL. It's yes. uh, it's 12 to 18 months is traditional for Tommy John. He got it in March, I believe, of mm-hmm. last year, or the very least late February. Late February at, at the earliest. Right. Uh, so so that means that he's, he's essentially going to be on your DL to start the year. And I generally, I mean, yeah, I understand for like the 22nd, 23rd having that DL spot. But when it comes from a guy going into uh, coming back from Tommy John... I generally avoid it. Uh, it has to be something that I know right away that they're coming back. Um, otherwise, I'm, I just don't want to spend two months holding on to a DL spot that I probably won't because guys get injured way too often and he'll probably just be on the wire. It's a summer waiver wire pick for me. Right. Um, 
in, in mixed leagues. I think that it, it's somebody that you see and you're like, oh, he's coming back. Let's go ahead and, and see what he can do. Maybe get some good starts because generally I stay away from from Tommy John returners that first year back, um, and, and except maybe in some of the extreme cases where they've had kind of the 15 to 18 months already at, before the season starts. So then they do have a chance at, at having a, a full fullish type of season this is not that case with honeywell um he'll barely be on the 12 month mark by the time spring training starts so no as much as i like him generally uh it's a it's a 2020 pick for me and i'm actually really curious uh where do you have john lester around here to be honest like i I don't know, man. I think I'm probably just ignoring him. I'm playing. I, I always call out the fantasy ageism, and then I think I might be playing into it a little bit myself with uh, with John Lester. I don't know. He's he's in my fifties. That's probably actually uh, there's probably already fifty something starters. So he was kind of sitting there on my board along with the guy that I took in the, in the twentieth round. They were just kind of looking at me like, "Hey, pick me. Hey, pick me. Pick me. Pick me." And I was like, "No, I don't want to. Get away. Get away. Get out." And, uh, and that would be his teammate, Cole Hamels, by the way. He'll spoil that. And so eh, between the two, I do prefer Hamels. That's why I, even if both had been available to me, I would have taken I would have taken Cole Hamels uh, over John Lester. But he, I think he's somebody that if he goes this late regularly, he's going to end up being probably a solid draft value. There's a small chance that he spikes a big season. Um, but back-to-back seasons of 130-something whip tells me that that's unlikely to happen because the hits are just piling up. He's at 8.9, 8.6 the last two years in 180 innings for both. Uh, so while you can get some strikeouts and maybe a decent ERA if he kind of uh, plays around those hits, uh, at age 35 for John Lester, I, I, I see it as a, a pretty bland pick personally. Okay. I, I it- the reason I was I was asking really is that the the season of 2018 is so interesting from John Lester. One of the most interesting seasons of last year, I think. Didn't he start off like amazingly? Well, right, he was did so well, and then it was always this massive gap between his ERA and Sierra. It was like 332 yes. for the year and 457 for a Sierra. So he started off so great. It was elite. It was like a two four ERA or something, and I kept calling it the Great Regression of 2018 as he started. Moving towards that 450 Sierra, get get a 210 through 15 starts. A right, it was it was John stupid. Lester. It was ridiculous. And then that regression started happening, and, we're, and we all go patting ourselves in the back. So you see, this is what was supposed to happen, etc. And then all of a sudden, in his final eight starts, he was great, was awesome and he deserved it. Uh, he fixed his cutter. His cutter all of a sudden was great, and that walk rate, I believe, was going up, and that those hit nine, everything was just not working because he didn't have, tr- he didn't trust that cutter and had to use his fastball differently. And he found a groove with that cutter in those last eight starts. And I'm always hesitant, you know. I, I like pointing out these end of season trends, saying sure. that oh, if the season continued, I had more faith in him. But then again, now we have five months until the next season, and is that going to stick? Is it not? Is he going to pick up where he left off? We yeah, see, does he work on? We don't know, you know this. Build on that or what? Right. So I don't know how I stand right now. I, I made my rankings at the end of uh, right at the end of the season, and I was liking what Luster was doing, so I had him at forty. I don't think I'm going to draft him there though, so I'm I'm going to be lowering him myself. 51 for me and and that sounds about right yeah yeah 
Like, I feel I feel I feel good about that. Like I think I am going to go after Josh James instead of going after Lester. But I do think I mean I'll be surprised. I guess I'll say this: I'll be surprised if he has a one-three whip again, and I'll be surprised okay, so if, if that comes down right. If that comes down to like one twenty-five and an ERA of three-six, and strikeout rate. I mean, his strikeout rate was under twenty percent for the first time since two thousand thirteen. It could bounce back. I up think it should. It, yeah. I, I, okay. You know, that uh, it's it's just a weird discuss- It's a fun discussion. Is uh, well, here's the a thing. lot of weird things going on. If you're going with a Soroka and a James, right, and maybe even some of the more established gambles, for example, like a Nathan Eovaldi, like he's good. We understand how great he can be, but health and innings mm-hmm. are a major concern. If you've got a, a team of those, heck, even my guy James Paxton up there, I got Paxton and Eovaldi. Uh, he's almost a good fit for that team. That's why I took Camels was because he brings a little bit of stability there. Lester can be that guy who, if you want to take some of these gambles, the Jimmy Nelson, the Freddie Peralta. Um, that we've been talking about, then you take a Lester to kind of offset it in case things fall through. Right. Because especially if you draft multiple ones, they're not all going to click right away. You need some innings. You might need your boy Lester to come in and and, and do some uh, positive work there and give you some solid innings. So I can see that. The the whip thing did have me scared. You've got me intrigued that if he can bring that down, because that was the one thing I was concerned about was the double 130s the last two years. If he can bring that down to something reasonable, then we might be working with something. I think he's going to stay cheap, too. I don't know that he's going to really push up. That's great. 19th round. We love that. Yeah, so, I like that. Uh, all right. Gardner. So looping, looping back here in the 20th round, I did like Ian Happ. He was actually my target coming in. He went well before my pick, though, so it wasn't really a snipe. Uh, Eduardo Escobar, Arietta, a couple more closers, Ryan Braun, Jonathan Scope. I think that was right after he signed with Minnesota. And then you took Ryan O'Hearn. <laughs> love this pick. This was definitely somebody I was looking at once uh, Hap was gone, and, but I was I was like, okay, I think I'm going to go pitcher O'Hearn. Um, I was going to kind of let Razval have two shots at him, but I did like him. You said, you know what? You don't get any shots at him. I'm taking him right now. This guy, Ryan O'Hearn, strikes me in that Matt Olson, um, good Lucas Duda mold. I mean, just that lefty masher. I think he's going to get the time. Even if he doesn't get full playing time, even if he gets platooned a little bit against lefties, you can get the strong side of the platoon. I think he can hit 25 easily. And this goes back to your point about late power being available. This is the legitimate raw power that's going to be in the middle of a halfway decent lineup. I'm not going to sit here and try to fool you guys into thinking that the Royals are going to be awesome. But you look up and down their lineup, it's not a terrible lineup with Merrifield, Mondesi, uh, Perez, O'Hearn, Soler, Gordon. Uh, you know, it obviously tails off toward the bottom. They're not a great team, but I do think that that top of the lineup to get some guys on base for O'Hearn is going to be pretty solid. So I love this pick here. He popped 12 homers in 170 plate appearances to finish the season. Looked really strong as a power asset. What'd you think of Ryan O'Hearn? I mean, I was really happy to get him. I I would say it's Renfro, Reyes, and O'Hearn. Maybe with a side of Franchi Cordero, but uh, those are the guys that I kind of want to go after. Later in the draft, yes, that's three Padres in there. I, uh, but I, 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 I feel that you can take these chances in the nineteenth, twentieth. Um, Renfro in the seventeenth still is great to me. I uh, and and O'Hearn. I mean, the one thing that I mean, pretty much said everything. The one thing I would mention also is that that twelve percent walk rate last year, which is pretty much in line with his minor league numbers as well. Uh, you like that? It, Gotta like that. It all just speaks to someone that 
can just be a great power asset for you. Uh, as long as he gets the playing time, I think he will get at least significant, as you mentioned. So, so I'm excited about it. Hopefully, hopefully, slot him in consistently, and he can give me better than a 250 average with 25 to 30 home runs there. Yeah, and he hit 262 last year. You know, 27% strikeout rate is not egregious. I know it sounds crazy to say that if you rewind five, six years, we have thought <laughs> anything over 25% was just death, get them off my team. And now we're saying anything under 30% can be manageable if they're balancing <laughs> it with a big walk rate and a bunch of homers, which O'Hearn is doing. So I like him as a nice corner too. We don't have corner sure. on this team, um, but it, but in leagues that will have corner infielder and I play 15 teamers, I think he's a perfect fit there too. So uh, and that's Cole Hamels. Let's let's talk a little bit about him. Do you see what, what what do you see out of his outlook for the season? Because he's another one who closed. Well, he he didn't quite have the same season as um, as Lester. He kind of went the other way, where he started really poorly, got traded to the Cubs, and then really rallied to the finish, looking really strong with them. Seventy six innings with a seventeen percent uh, strikeout minus walk, twelve percent swing strike, uh, two thirty six ERA, one ten WHIP. You know, two eighty four BABIP is not overly agreed like wow you really uh got lucky there in fact he has he has 285 career so he's at his career mark now the 82 percent left on base rate that is definitely something that uh you would you would bump up in any sort of projection but i don't need him to be a 236 era i'll take the 342 fit that we saw with a 115 whip uh to stabilize the back end of my rotation so i, I liked getting hamels here ageism plays a little role gets me a 20th round uh cole hamels here what'd you think of him yeah, it's it's crazy to me that Hamels had a 12% overall swing strike rate and was hovering around a 25% K rate for the entire year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think a lot of people don't really grasp that after his terrible 2017 season. They came with a sub 10% swing strike rate and a 17% K rate. Uh, his changeup improved in the second half. We've always talked about the changeup being the the pitch from Hamels. We would say, "Oh, if you want to yeah, find a good really changeup in the majors, you go to Hamels." And yeah, mm-hmm. with the, with the Cubs, he definitely improved on that. But the cutter as well. The the Cubs love cutters. I think it's part of the reason why they went after Darvish for obvious reasons, of course, too. But they really enjoy cutters, and Darvish really emphasized that in 2017. Uh, and as I was talking about with Lester, he got his cutter back. Hamels found his with the Cubs, and the fastball was just much better, about a 6P val in those 12 starts. So, yeah, I pair Lester and Hamels pretty similarly. I think there is a little higher strikeout upside with Hamels. I don't buy the ratios as much as I do with Lester, uh, but they're pretty similar. I mean, they both have been doing 180 innings plus for the past 10 years almost, save for 2017 with Hamels. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's kind of cool to have both of those guys on the Cubs, and I'll just say, hey, I want to get my lefty veteran Phil. I'll just watch a Cubs game. Could even get Quintana. Yeah, why not? Same, same, why not? You know, another <laughs> another Cubs lefty uh, veteran type there. So yeah, Hamels, I thought uh, fairly solid pick. Nothing yeah, to I thought that was good for you. Do backflips over, but kind of a nice uh, guy to go. Like I said, with my Ivaldi, Paxton, Kenta Maeda, who yep. have lacked some of that stability. Then Daniel Polka, Wellington, Castillo went a little White Sox double duo there. Uh, wait, Castillo's elsewhere now, isn't he? Uh, no, no, no. He, He's still there. Yeah, yeah. They moved Omar Narvaez. They did bring in a catcher that. um, uh, I thought they brought in a catcher that had people questioning his playing time for beef. Anyway, it's irrelevant. It's not even one of our picks. Let's just move on to my pick, Tyler (laughs) O'Neill. 
I was happy with with oh yeah James McCann hello sorry yeah anyway just wanted to close the loop on that they did bring in James McCann who won't really affect Castillo that much I watched James McCann for several years in Detroit he's not not that good <laughs> uh, off- offensively specifically but okay Tyler O'Neill out there with uh, the Cardinals now I don't see any possible way that uh, Jose Martinez starts the season with this club so that clears a little bit of the clutter but there's still clutter there in the outfield, and I shouldn't say clutter because it's a good outfield, I think, with uh, Ozuna, Bader, Fowler. We'll see. Can he bounce back? But then you you do have uh, O'Neal kind of waiting there. Can he get up there and at least be the fourth outfielder type and, and, and get a few starts a week? Martinez would need to be gone for that to happen. And, and I again, I just don't see a way that Martinez starts the season with this club. He's such an AL player. It's not even funny. So let's see what they're able to do with him and kind of clear that path for O'Neal. O'Neal is just an interesting gamble, I thought. Power-speed combo. Dude is yoked out of his mind. I mean, he, he cuts a great figure um, and, and kind of – Gets you excited about his tools that way, but we got to see it come into fruition too because he strikes out. Oh my goodness, he loves striking out. We talk about how we can accept, you know, something in the high twenties, maybe a thirty percent uh, on the on the button if you're if you're doing enough with it. He struck out forty percent of the time in one hundred forty-two plate appearances for Tyrell O'Neill. You're gonna have to have a heck of a lot more power and speed to really do that but he does have a power speed combo and if he can cut that down and get it to something manageable in the 28 to 30 percent range walk closer to six seven percent which is still not good but it's better than the five percent we saw i think i can get some good stuff here out of tyler o'neill but it's definitely a spec gamble pick what do you think of tyler o'neill yeah i probably should group him in that group i mentioned before uh to say the word group oh yeah in like three words I should group in that group that I grouped. <laughs> no, but uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously the twenty three percent swing strike rate is just laughably bad. So but bad. this is a guy trying to prove himself in his first year, and I'm yeah, not trying to hit two I'm home runs every at bat. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to uh, to be too hard on him in that in that first season. It, this is another seventy power guy. Uh, he had 26 home runs in 273 plate appearances for AAA in 2018 um, when he wasn't with the Cardinals. Uh, don't forget about this great point you made about Jose Martinez most likely being gone at the beginning of the year. If you give them the comfortable security, I want to say this is Alex Think Fast, the mental game, that aspect would affect him positively. Uh, and he can hopefully bring down that K rate to 25-30%. Then we can be talking about 25 to 30 power, and then maybe, maybe if he gets a little bit higher in the OBP, we can see that double digit steals that you're talking about with the 55 grade st- speed as well. So, again, another really nice lottery pick here for power deep in the draft, 21st round. Good stuff. Yep. Thanks. I, I, I thought, you know, solid pick. I like your next pick here, too. Uh, you got your catcher, Danny Jansen. It's a one catcher league. I took Posey because he just kind of fell. I thought 14th round felt Posey's too good. Great. Love that pick. But this is the kind of guy I would have been going for around this time, a Danny Jansen, perhaps even a Beef Castillo for myself. Um, But Jansen is definitely a a standout, I think. A lot of folks... a lot of folks are aware of him here in the fantasy community. That's that's kind of the the rabid fantasy community that keeps everything going all season. But but some people that, you know, uh, he might have slid under the radar with only 95 plate appearances. He did have a 115 WRC plus, though. Interesting bat should get the opportunity in Toronto to catch. Talk to us a bit about Danny Jansen as your catcher. Well, I hope that he does get that regular playing time with the talks of Martin moving. 
That would be yes. great. That would be so perfect for Jansen. He's just an intriguing upside play at this point with nothing really jumping out at me. A catcher, it's the 21st round. I was able to wait this long on one. I know some people will say Estadio, but obviously we don't know if he's starting. And as much as I love that man, I just can't go with him now. I'll take my chances on Jansen at this point. If things change there, I expect that no one else is going to probably draft Estadio. And we can make that swap later if we want. Yeah, he didn't get picked in our 23 but rounds. But th- there's no one with a higher ceiling one on, on the board still at this point. And Jansen, I love the fact that he had an 18% K rate and a near 10% walk rate. Mm-hmm. If he gets a playing time, I don't think I'm going to ever be so excited about Jansen calling the best player ever. But at the same time, he could return. It's a it's a very much of a possibility being a top 10 catcher here uh, going into the 21st round. But look what he did. Great. I think if you kind of take his his AAA and and even put he he did it games but even put it on a full season's worth he had 12 homers and five steals with a 275 average and a near one to one strikeout to walk ratio in, in AAA last year 360 plate appearances yeah. if you put the 12 and five with a 275 if you got that out of your catcher for a full season <laughs> that'd be perfectly fine that'd be amazing that'd be a top five catcher and that's obviously the ceiling I'm going after I don't really expect that I would say I'd, I'd no, be very never, happy. Never, I'd be very happy with 15 home runs, maybe 15 to 20, with we had 270 average. Great, uh, maybe yeah, that, maybe that. like seven stolen bases. <laughs> but I, I, I really like him. I will have Jansen on on some teams next year. In fact, some two catcher leagues you mentioned Williams Estadio, a Jansen Estadio combo, something that I would definitely be interested in if there had been two catchers as the deal definitely would have gone right um, but we did yeah. just one catcher you you spared us in this uh in this <laughs> I'm winter trying to, mock. i'm trying to do the foundation that is most typical for us to talk about any other variables you want that's yeah it, it we don't need the, the two catchers at that point <laughs> all right let's go through a little bit here in the 21st round Adamas, uh Reynaldo Lopez to Tucson win. I want I want to focus more on the pitchers because that's really what you and I like that's to dive in stuff. on. Uh, those are two that we've definitely talked up in the past. Did you have any consideration to taking Tucson here or Lopez? I guess, but I know Tucson was somebody that that you had high on your list until recently. You talked about moving him down. Right. Yeah. With Tucson, as I hinted at before, with Soroka, I, I just I don't really see a spot for him at this point. And, and not to mention, let's say you get those 150 innings from Tucson. The more I talked about him, the more I thought about him, I don't really love his profile and his path to his ceiling in that his third pitch at a splitter is the most inconsistent pitch there is, a splitter. And he's a guy that doesn't have great command of his fastball. I cannot trust that he'll harness that splitter the way that it needs to be for it to be a strong third option. His curveball is fantastic, and that's the thing that that's the reason why we're talking about him like we are. But I, that fastball isn't, it's not a hard throwing one. It's not 95 plus. It normally sits low 90s. And it's not really that great. It's fine. But I think it will give him a lot of trouble at times. And I don't know if that curveball is great enough to save him from that. So even with those 150 yeah. innings, I am not as confident as I am with Soroka and with and uh, Josh James, etc. With those kind of guys that I am with Toussaint. So mix in the, the, the playing time questions. I'm probably not going to be drafting Toussaint come March. I think that that's, uh, that's perfectly fair. And as nasty as his pitches can be, he doesn't always know where they're going, like you said. And so I think that that's, that, that's the biggest concern uh, with what we're looking for out of Tuki Toussaint and, and trying to get some consistency 
that just isn't there right now. Mm-hmm. Ronaldo Lopez, uh, what's your outlook on him so far? I know we, we talked a lot about him during the season. Is he somebody that, that you're ready to jump in on or still somebody that you're looking at from a distance? We, we saw some flashes, but is it enough to get you fully interested? Why, it's so weird. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, so he's really good at going high and tight with his four-seamer. And mm-hmm. from what I understand, peripherals hate guys that do this. Because they they induce a lot of pop-ups generally. Like Rodon, too. Right. His teammate. Rodon is so funny because he would have these massive games with like six walks. And that's because he's going too far inside when he would miss. So we always talk about when you miss, you don't want it to be a mistake. You want it to be a ball. So we would say, oh, this is bad. He's walking so many guys. I'm like, no, 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 this is good. He's having these really successful starts with ERA because... Because he's missing inside, and that leads to walks. Then later on, in the last like six starts, Rodon started missing over the plate, and he got crushed. So that that's what you see there with Rodon. Uh, with Lopez, I think he's actually better at going high and tight to lefties. The question is, are both of his secondary pitches going to work at the same time? We saw some of those games, that 10 strikeout game against the Athletics. Both those pitches were working. But most of the time, it's just his changeup or just his slider. Sometimes even the curveball, which is weird. Shows up every so often. If he gets all three pitches working at the same time, fastball is always going to be there. Yeah. Then he could legitimately be a top 30 guy. I'm not even joking about that. The Chai Sox like to go deep with their guys too in this landscape where people don't go six innings anymore. Lopez could go six, seven, eight. Uh, so there's a lot of potential there. It's just that major if, and I, I don't know. It's like a coin flip to me. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally understand that and uh, can totally – obviously, this is why he's going this late for, for Reynaldo Lopez. Is he's obviously not going to be somebody that you have to pay a premium for, but you're going to get that major volatility right. uh, with Reynaldo Lopez. Somebody that will be on my radar late in rounds, but I don't know that I will necessarily have like a star by him. And so we'll kind of go – we'll kind of go with the flow and see. I might I might, I might – cop one share of him but i i don't know uh be a wait and see sort of situation yeah, that sounds fine uh, join the ride for one it, one league one other guy in this uh round that i i wanted to get your thoughts on um julio urias oh yeah he, and uh he went super late yeah, i love that pick. yeah well I, I i think he'll continue to he might go up a little bit but it's not going to be enough to I think really make him cost prohibitive because I think a lot of the, the community at large still understands that hey it's a little uh, it, it, it's concerning here he doesn't dodgeitis as you like to talk about also doesn't have a guaranteed spot but there's a lot of uh, positivity uh, uh, off of this season that we just saw because remember when he got hurt with the shoulder capsule. That used to be kind of a career ender. So the fact that it hasn't done that and he came back and, and Urias looked strong last year is positive. He was pitching bullpen out of the uh, in the playoffs, out of the bullpen in the playoffs. That was nice. I think he's a good late gamble, though, if you have a big enough uh, reserve roster because you might not get too much out of him at the front end of the season. But I could see him being a real summer standout um, as as a role opens up somewhere because obviously somebody will get hurt on that on that uh, team. But what can we really expect for him, given how much they want to be cautious with Julio Urias and Dodgeritis mixed in? Well, honestly, I think we can really expect that negative point three four fit for the entire year. Uh, I, I was I put a projection for that, yeah, for 300 innings. Oh, man. 300 innings I, I just love seeing that. It was just four innings of the regular season, but it's a negative 0.34 FIP. <laughs> he was amazing. Uh, <laughs> but no, no, I think he made a really good point uh, about how 
his his innings might be middle or back loaded as opposed to front loaded uh, in the season, and that might not mean that you want him on your team because we have to remember that this is not best ball. This is yes. you in April and May making these decisions, and especially with like the last six rounds of the draft, you'd be surprised how many of those guys just are off your team uh, by by even June or July. So Julio Urias might not be there. At the same time, again, I'm going to do the same thing I did before with 150 innings. That might be generous with Urias. Let's say it's 130. This, you give him 130 innings, I, I really think he has as much of a salary as damage. Yeah, uh, it's absurd. He has everything you want. He has excellent, excellent fastball command, a fantastic slider. Uh, change up is great too. It, it, he has it all really. As curveball is a big sweeper like Rich Hill. I don't want to say it's as much of a twelve six like it is Kershaw, but it sweeps across like Hill. It's phenomenal. He has it. Um, it's just a question of how much playing time. But I would rather bank on the ceiling as opposed to the playing time question at this point. Um, so, so for example, I would have taken him over Toussaint. I would have taken him over Lopez. Uh, as a relative there. By the way, I said a coin flip of Lopez before. It's not a coin flip. It's not like a 50% chance he becomes a stud. But it, it, I'm just saying it's like a gamble. You don't know what you're going to get. Yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, with Urias, I think the 21st round is a little bit later because you still have similar kinds of things like Freddie Peralta, I see, or even Zach Godley, or uh, I would say even Waka. You don't really know what you're going to get out of the gate from these guys. And I would at least at this point want to see how it plays out in March there's a chance a race is starting out of the gate. I don't, I don't want to say that that's not going to happen. If it's not going to happen, yeah, fine. I probably don't draft him. I play chicken on the wire uh, through the season. Yeah, I, th- I think that's all, all fair assessment of Arias. And he just kind of is in that mix of intriguing late round guys that we love to gamble on and love to see what uh, what we can get from them. But uh, we'll have to kind of play a wait and see that Dodger Rotation, you know, they're still apparently rumored in on stuff like Kluber and whatnot, oh et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, that's so frustrating. I mean, that'd be so wild if they got that. All right, let's uh, let's move on here then to our pick here in the twenty second round. You got Jesus Zaro. Speaking of a youngster, that is really intriguing for Oakland. There was talks of, hey, maybe they should bring him up now. Uh, you know, during during their their run last year because of what he was able to do. Really, really intriguing prospect. Didn't get the call just yet. Uh, but ended up having a heck of a season across double and actually high A, double A and triple A at a three level season where he really uh, had skills at all three. ERA was a little high or a little high. It was brutal at triple A, but it was 16 innings. He had a 14 hit per nine. So I'm not really worried about the 731 ERA <laughs> that he had there. Uh, I imagine that's a couple brutal starts that kind of spoiled yeah, the entire yeah, bunch exactly. there. Exactly. Yeah, not not concerned about that at all. That's why I'm really only looking at the uh, strikeouts and walks there. And he still had a 14 uh, percent swinging strike and a 14 percent K minus BB because the the walks had elevated. But he's a really intriguing uh, starting pitching prospect. Has a good fastball curveball changeup or uh, combo there. Sorry, that, that's his three pitch combo: fastball, curveball, changeup. All three are solid average pitches with plus potential, and I like that. I like a guy that has a developed change up a young guy that always intrigues me i think lozardo is somebody who could contribute this year might not uh, pitch much in the very first month at all might go back to triple a and say hey go give us an audition down there throws 25 strong innings boom he's up jesus lozardo somebody that you think can be a a 135 inning contributor this year for you i i literally don't know 
uh, this was a point in the draft where I had five starters I trusted for innings. Nola, Clevenger, Wheeler, Happ, and Freeland. I feel great about the floor that I've set. So the last three starters, Pavetta, Soroka, and now Lizardo, are pure upside plays uh, to be that extra swing at the end of drafts to, to make a massive impact. And Lizardo was the last one, or the one that I really wanted to go for. I actually did consider Eno's pick, Denison Lamette, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wanted to have fun. I was like, you know what, let's go after Lizardo. Because let's say he just kills it in spring training, and the athletics just say, you know what, let's do this. We were let's a wild card team last year. He's clearly just going to step in and be the ace of our rotation. We need this. Let's go. And I was actually talking with Adam Garland. He's our dynasty manager at Pitcher List. He's putting out an article. I believe he's going to, I think he's going with my headline of the coming of Jesus. Uh, and uh, he, he he found a lot of interesting stuff about his curveball, which was kind of tough from the eye test to see if it's a curveball or a slider. And that's because he's changing speeds and movement on it. And we've seen this before from Corbin. We've seen this before from Kluber. Kluber. Um, I mean, obviously, has Jacob the best Junis one. do this, but it's essentially having a strength and getting the most out of it. Uh, instead of trying to find another fourth pitch or something, he's just going to use this really good pitch differently. And I love it. I love that stuff. You even see like Rich Hill coming down for for curveballs as well. And Lozardo just seems like one of those guys that. He has the right, the right makeup, the right repertoire to really jump in and be incredibly productive from the moment he steps on a major league stadium. So, or major league field, I should say, not on top of the stadium. I uh, so I, I I figured you know what twenty second round. Sure, if the word comes out, they're probably going to wait till a super two or wait until May or whatever. Fine, I might not stash him, but I've had that luxury just to have him on my bench in the beginning of the year. Great, just to I'm take happy. a shot. Yeah, I'm happy I have him. Exactly. No, I, I liked it. Uh, definitely a great great type of gamble, and this is somebody that uh, I'll be intrigued by, and if we do get some clarification on, on what could happen uh, in spring, that will obviously impact his draft value. But again, it's one of those where even if they uh, speak favorably of him and say he has a chance to maybe win a spot or be up early in, in April, I don't think his price would skyrocket. Jesus Lazardo would still be an affordable guy, right. even if you had to take him in like the 18th, 19th round as opposed to the 22nd where you got him. I went back to the uh, the 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 floor, the high floor bin, the steady Eddie bin there, sure. and took Corey Dickerson. That's a great pick, um, Gold Glove Corey Dickerson. I felt pretty darn good about this pick. Uh, you know, you talk about taking gambles on on different guys like a Tyler O'Neill. I thought this was a perfect counter to that. Somebody that uh, if Tyler O'Neill does start as a fourth outfielder or even starts in AAA. I'm not terribly concerned about that because I can just uh, slot in Corey Dickerson and his quality work. Now, the homers did come down a bunch last year. He went from 27 to 13. I'm sure going to PNC Park didn't help that. But the 300 average, the 15% strikeout rate, if you can kind of combine the two a little bit more, keep, keep some of that aspect and get the homers back up in at least the low 20s, which I do believe he can do. He also played only 135 games. So if you give him some of those games back, he might have been closer to 15, 16 homers. But uh, I'm perfectly perfectly fine with this also had eight steals just a little chip in steal sort of guy the defense going to keep him in the lineup I do think there is some I, I think he improved his defense I do but there is a benefit to playing next to Starling Marte I do think that 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 can really help a guy um, who might have been defensively challenged but that is something that you can just that that, that raw work can improve that's like the, the one thing in baseball for a positional player that just working at it can make you better. You can't really make yourself much faster. You can't just inherently make yourself Miguel Cabrera in his prime as a hitter, no matter how hard you work. 
but yeah, damn well, you can make sure that you're a better defender and learn how to play off the wall and get positioning and all that sort of stuff. So I do believe in some of the defensive gains that he had. I think that'll keep him in the lineup. And I, I thought Corey Dickerson was a perfectly fine pick. Nothing crazy. Yeah, no, no, it's very sturdy. Uh, and that's nice to find in the 22nd round when a lot of guys have bigger warts than he does. Uh, exactly. Now, there's so many weird things here. Um, the fact that he had lowered his swing strike rate to 11.5%. Uh, and 15% K rate, and this is after 15.5% swing strike rate last year, and sorry, in 2017, and 24% K rate in 2017. And what you normally see from that is you see also a batted ball difference, which we did in home run per fly ball down to 8.7% from 17%. But that's because his home run, uh, sorry, his fly ball stayed exactly the same. And that's interesting. It is. I would think that with the lower chase rate and the lower strikeouts that you would also think his swing plane would be a bit different. And if anything, he just got more line drives. Yeah. I I would have thought that we were seeing, um, you know, like you said, a a drop in fly balls and stuff, but, and and kind of explain some of that home run. But I think it's really the, the eight, 9% homer to fly ball rate. Even if you just bounce that back to his career mark, that's going to add some homers to the mix. So I don't think a lot has to change here for him to have a, a really strong season of, uh, like I said, like 20 homers, six steals and a 300 average. I'm taking that all day at this round. Yeah, the big thing I do want to see is a little higher of a pull percentage. It went down to 31%, which is the lowest he he's spraying. had of his career. But, I mean, if it means that you're getting a 300 average in the 22nd round without the like the damper in home runs, runs, and RBI that you normally see, fantastic. Think about him and Renfro together, right? It right, kind yeah, of smash yeah. that player together. That's really intriguing. Renfro can kind of make up the homers that, that Dickerson's lost. Um, and, you know... I took him because I thought he was just a really good pick here, and I, I wanted to have him. I, it did leave me exposed, and I thought I could get my boy Brandon Woodruff, and I didn't. <laughs> Rasval got him. It's weird to get sniped in the 22nd round, but I legitimately did. He goes Woodruff, Nate Jones. So I just went with, uh, like I said, a, a really floor guy. If he has some health, he could, or, right. or he's a cut. You know, it's my last pick. But Anibal Sanchez very quietly put together a strong season last year because he finally had some health. Um, I watched him up close to personal with the Tigers. I watched his breakout seasons when he was awesome. I watched the disastrous seasons when he allowed a homer to literally anybody. If you just a bat boy, come up to bat, you can get a homer. No, no, no discrimination whatsoever for Anibal Sanchez from 2015 to 2017 with the homers that he allowed. It did not matter. You want to use the bat the wrong way with the knob at the end? Boom, you're still going to get a homer. But even in the midst of that, he had a pretty decent strikeout to walk. Like he, there was still a foundation of like. Uh, possible quality here if he could figure out what was giving up so many homers. He figured it out. He got it down to 1.0, which is manageable. Uh, spiked the strikeouts back up, back up to 17% uh, strikeout minus walk. The, like I said, the 1.0 homer nine, and boom, 283-108 ERA whip combo. I'm not expecting anything like that because that also included a 255 BABIP and 79% left on base rate. But bounce those closer to his league or to his uh, career averages of 299-72, which are basically league average, by the way. And I'll take a 360. 120 sort of deal here. I just need health, really. He's 35. We don't know if he's going to go back to the Braves. Probably not because we talked about how loaded they are. So we'll have to see where he goes. But uh, for me, I just thought, why not? Not not a terrible pick if I can get some health. If he goes back to his home run unhealthy ways, easy cut. Right. I Yeah, I, I think this is a fine pick, especially considering you were also talking about how many innings you're getting from other guys. 
and this might be a nice supplement of like, okay, this is more of a floor that I need. I Especially early, right? Because right. if he goes and signs with somebody, he's going to get that rotation spot right out of the gate for Anibal Sanchez, and he can kind of bridge the gap there as I might have to wait on some innings from some of the other uh, gamble guys that I had. So Anibal Sanchez, mm-hmm. nothing crazy. I, I, you talk. Well, I wonder, I, I wonder if I've ever seen a difference between two seasons of Hipper 9 uh, from a, essentially 12 to 7. 12 to 7. That's a 5. And, and not, not in like... 20 innings in one of the years and 100 in the other. 105 to 137 (laughs) innings. 12 to 7. Oh, man. It's, uh, I mean, the main, yeah, it's crazy. The major thing that I saw as far as pitch approach with Annabelle Sanchez was he found this cutter. And I like to, I like to call it the McHugh cutter. Uh, McHugh in 2014, when he had that ridiculous season, what people don't realize is that his slider, which really was a cutter, yeah, was great at nipping the top of the zone. It was staying up mm-hmm. and then falling back down. And I believe actually we talked about this in one of our other firesides that there was zombie cast that included Jordan Zimmerman too, where I mentioned this. And that's what he was, what Sanchez was doing all year. He was doing that cutter at the top of the zone that would fall back at the right at the top and get a ton of called strikes that way. And, make and then it, dropping his change up off the table to when they thought the cutter was coming. Exactly that that split change up that he's had. So hopefully that continues if he. Uh, if you're not following at home, it's a 22.5% uh, usage of that cutter last year after an 8.7% in 2017. So it became a huge part of his identity. That was the highest he's ever had before, that 8.7% in 2017. So hopefully that continues. Hopefully he still has that feel. McHugh didn't. McHugh lost it. Uh, so it does make me a little skeptical. Obviously, that's a sample size of one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can't really put too much faith into that, but it does mean to me that I haven't seen it being sustainable yet. Uh, so hopefully it will be. He is also 34, going to be 35 actually. It's going to be year. his age 35 season. Yeah. So when you're talking about health and the fact that he hasn't made more than 26 starts since 2013, uh, I hope for your sake that he beats that wherever he signs. I, I, I'm going to make a guess just because it's fun. I'm going to say the Rangers. They just seem like a team that would get Sanchez. They do, and then I would cut him before. We, it's a fake draft. I would cut him before we even started right, the season in a non-existent yeah. league. Yeah, but you're you're so accurate with that, and it <laughs> angers me how how correct that is. Uh, it's just like the annoying yeah, team together. Definitely going to Texas for like a two-year, nine million dollar deal or something. I don't know. You can get seventeen. He can get he can get more than that. Yeah, maybe he can get he can get nine each year. Yeah, some, right. something like eight, eight oh. and a half to nine each year. But yeah, um, so yeah, that's Anibal Sanchez. You talked about uh, earlier when we when we talked about Ahmed Rosario that you backed him up with a with a security blanket as well. Talking about getting some of these floor guys late that we talked about. Uh, I said talked about fifty times there. <laughs> Zach Cozart was the guy. Now Cozart had a nice breakout, and there was some legitimacy to it. Then he goes over to to L.A. and we're like, okay. Get him in a lineup with Trout. Decent lineup here. Let's see what he can do. And then he got hurt. He only ended up playing 58 games. Uh, struggled during that. Never really got a chance to find his footing. Going to come back at age 32, though, or excuse me, age 33. And I think he can still get back on track and not quite emulate 2017. That was a career year. But if you're talking 260 and 18 homers, I'm listening. Well, it, it, if that's what we're discussing. So first of all, you're talking about getting sniped and stuff. And I like sat there before I took Lazardo thinking, uh, is, is Rasball going to take Kozar? Are you going to take Kozar? Is someone else going to take him? And I debated back and forth. 
uh, which which I should take first. So uh, so fortunately, I, I did the right way, or at least I think you were more likely to get sniped on Lozardo. That's what I, that's why I did that. That's why I went with Lozardo. Yeah. Um, but I knew that I wanted both of these guys. I'm willing to take the chance of that 2017 season of a 12% walk rate and 15% K rate to go with 24 home runs and about 500 plate appearances can come back to some degree. I like to think that there was some massive change that he made that made it more of a breakout from 2016 of 16 home runs and about the same plate appearances, but not that 12% walk rate, but actually 7% walk rate and 45 points difference in average. I like to think that that 2017 season is more believable. Biggest question, of course, is that it was a shoulder injury, and shoulder yeah. injuries generally sap power. So maybe not 24 home runs, but then at the same time, that was only 122 games. So maybe a full season, we can get over 20. I'm willing to take that gamble with Rosario and Kozar. I'm just hoping one of these work... Uh, works out for me, so yeah, because you might not even really. I don't need him, if, but I just want Rosario take, goes off. But I wanted to take another chance, and I think that a lot of people forget: twenty-four home runs and five hundred plate appearances, and a three hundred average, twelve percent walk rate. One year removed from that, including the injury in two thousand eighteen. So, and we'll he has a good glove back. too. Yeah, he'll be playing. And, uh, he also could be uh, a utility guy. Yep, and he could bounce around and get get relatively full time appearances. And I think. Um, I think that lineup could be halfway decent, at least in the upper portion, which he could be batting at if he's in that five six slot. Uh, you know, you're talking about Trout, Otani, Upton, Bohr, Simmons, Cozart, Kel Calhoun. You know, it's that's not a terrible lineup either. I still think that they get a catcher, maybe Osmani Grandal for them. And then you start running that lineup, it, it runs six, seven, maybe even eight deep if they do get a Grandal. So that can help Cozart's counting numbers. I thought this was a great way to to balance out your um your risk with Rosario. So I thought I thought you had a good finish to the draft there. It's twenty third round pick, but uh, you know, hey, we we go till the clock ends. Oh, yeah. We're still putting we're putting a, a <laughs> thought and effort you know, into these picks here, even in a mock. So even, I, I really like that. So pick. much so that Mason hasn't made the very final draft pick yet. No. And you know what? We have to we have to blast him on that because he was yeah, he, he was, was one of the ones getting a little antsy on it. And we took long. Let's let's be honest. Right. We did take long. We took ages. And uh, <laughs> you know, some people were longer than others. You and I, we were very we were ready to go with our picks. But that's neither here nor there. It was a slow mock. It, it didn't hurt anything to take long, but it did take forever um and the fact that justin's kind of letting that last pick go that's that's really funny uh just to kind of finish it off then gray matt barnes peter alonzo denelson lamette jan gomes Cattell Marte, trevor may call McHugh, and then justin trying to make that last pick anybody else in that last run that you want to wrap up with or do you want to put a cap on our on our team i think here? there are some people that are going to be taking McHugh in that last round uh considering yeah, that he might have a rotation spot i remember writing about him as a starter this time last year for you guys uh, or I guess for us, for rotographs. Uh, and McHugh changed his approach. He changed his slider. Remember what I was talking before as a cutter? It's actually like it was, the it's the Brad Peacock slider. He learned it from Peacock. And it's a fantastic pitch. Uh, and he had a great year in relief this season. It could definitely translate uh, to the starting rotation. He, I believe it was about a 250 ERA in 12 starts in 2017, uh, if I remember correctly. I could see that translating. So I like that pick from from Melchior. That's a that's a fun late round pick that you could just be off your team in April. That's fine. Uh, the totally Lamette pick, as I mentioned, with Saras as well. Alonso is an intriguing one. Uh, why not? Hey, talk about our late power. Exactly. Here. So another guy who's just going to swing for the fences and and connect regularly. It's going to be a bad batting average, but if you get two forty. 
as an as a, as an average, you can take that because you could get thirty five home. This guy, this guy's insane with his pop. Like I don't think thirty five. That's obviously the high end, but I don't think it's out of the question if they bring him up in early April for Peter Alonso on the Mets. Right. Uh, Trevor May could easily have the job in Minnesota. Love him. So that's that's a great. I pick. will say I'm a little bit biased. He goes on. He's a Twitch streamer. Oh, yeah, right. So I can- I know we're like a little bit of uh, Twitch friends here, and, and so I, I might have a little bit bias of uh, favoring him that way. But even before then, I did I did favor him for the closers role, um, and, and then injury struck. He had Tommy John. He's back. He's ready to go. I think he he's the right guy for that role in Minnesota. And they're not quite a terrible team. I think they're a mediocre team, so you can get some decent saves there from Trevor and, May. And then there's Sonny Gray, which I, I don't hate this pick either from from Derek. Oh, I. Obviously, he had a terrible time in New York, but he won't be in will New be York. Traded. And 1, he'll 000. have a rotation spot, and that's an intriguing ceiling. So I'm I'm really cool with that pick too. Uh, I think uh, yeah, I think a I'm lot of these picks are solid. I'm in on the late gray pick because uh, you just look at the home road splits, and I don't know if it was the mental aspect. I'm not going to go full think fast because I don't know. <laughs> I think it's it. It only happens in New York where we automatically say, "Oh, this mental, you know, he can't handle it mentally. He's he's weak because he didn't he didn't do well in New York." They also have a remarkably difficult park to pitch in, right? And there could have also been you know some plain bad luck in there. But it was a stark split: six ninety eight to three seventeen with the ERA, one ninety to one sixteen with the WHIP, mm-hmm. and even the skills. Um, since I'm on uh, B ref here, I just have strikeout to walk. I can't do the percentages in my head because I'm not smart. But it's one three to three six strikeout to walk ratio i mean that's everything was absolutely starkly different home and road and so clearly he's ready to get out of there now they've there have been talks of cincinnati i like that because it's his old pitching coach i don't like it because of the park but that's not as scary of a park as new york it's, it's really not but that division is not easy right you're going throughout that division is difficult um i'd like to see something like you know San Diego get involved, right. but we talked about how they have some pitching options already. I'm trying to think of what are some of the other landing Brewer, spots that we Brewers could have. Was another one. Brewers. I'll take that. Yep. I, I will. By the way, I was going to mention that earlier when we were talking about some of those younger guys sure. that they're actually in on some guys too. So that's another reason to be a little bit cautious on Peralta, even my boy Woodruff, Corbin Burns, anybody you like there. Be a little bit careful. Uh, the most recent update. This was just a few days, about a week ago, actually, about uh, the December 12th. That uh, John Heyman said the Mariners are interested in him. The Mariners are interested in anybody that's available. <laughs> but uh, Padres, Mariners, Brewers are the three teams. Uh, and then the Reds from previously and the Braves from previously. If you had to rank those, just give me your top three out of Padres, Brewers, Reds, Braves, and Mariners. I would say Braves because that's the NL easy. It's not going to be easy this year. It's going to be easier than, than the Brewers going it. to the Brewers for Miller Park and – Easier, okay, yeah. but I don't think we can call yeah, it the that, NL easy that's anymore. That's fair. That's fair. He will be on one of the good teams at least. Uh, now, if you're, it, you know, you still get the Marlins there, but uh, the Phils should be much really better. Face- we'll see what the Mets yeah, put the together. Nats. The Nats are losing hard. The Mets are going to be still bad. okay. Yeah. So, and by the way, because it's not the NL easy. Sorry to go tangent here. How do you feel about some of those those Marlins that you're that you've been favoring? Because oh, I know, I know you like so uh, annoying. Trevor Richards. We're both a Caleb Smith These... fan. In fact, you you got me on the Trevor Richards bandwagon, by the way. And I, I've actually looked into more of another guy that you've uh, advocated for, Pablo Lopez. 
but it is not the NLEZ for them. It's actually quite right. difficult because they have their own team to face. This is the funniest thing is that I actually really like that Marlins pitching staff for your NL only leagues, for your deeper deep. ones, for streaming. Not one of them has been drafted in this. Uh, we're talking Jose oh, wow. Ureña, Trevor Richards, uh, Caleb Smith, Pablo wow. Lopez. I'm correct me if I'm wrong here. I don't think I see any of no, them on No, you are 100% board. right. Uh, and it's crazy because I think I think any of them really could be a stable floor arm with some strike at upside. There's also Chen. There's also Australia. I don't really like those guys. But I uh, no, but they're like your they're like your boring streamers that they are going to be available in runs. In- they can. Uh, Trevor yep. Richards has that amazing changeup. Pablo Lopez is hinting at two money pitches. Uh, Caleb okay. Smith has got the same same got. kind of thing. He, I, I thought in some ways he profiled out to be someone like Robbie Ray if he continues to work in the same direction he was going. Uh, and then you have Arrhenia, who's not so bad as a floor guy. He's not the worst. But he's there. not chucking the ball at, around the yeah, corner right. for no reason. He's actually pretty good. I know he, he earned he notoriety deservedly last year, but um, don't let that cloud the fact that He's a pretty decent deep league filler, uh, Jose Arena. And this is not a starter, but I think Adam Conley has a little bit of a uh, little bit of super reliever vibe, sure. super fireman vibe yeah. as a lefty. Uh, he struggled a little bit down the stretch. If you look, it's a couple of bad outings, one where he allowed five earned against the Braves and another where he allowed three earned against the Red Sox in uh, a third of an inning. I mean, that's going to torch any ERA, but uh, the strikeouts were there. I think we started to see some things. So there's some intrigue there on, on a bad team. The Marlins are still going to be bad. But don't completely forget them, especially you deep leaguers who who like to play 15-team mixed or or deeper. Yeah. So I, I definitely agree with you there. All right. So putting a bow on this, I think we both put together some pretty solid teams here. Um, obviously, we're not going to play it out. But what, what were your takeaways here? The, anything that you learned in this draft? And it was a shark tank, too, because, I, you know, we talked about getting sniped. We're getting sniped left and right um, against this, this really difficult pool of players. Anything you learned that's going to alter your drafting as we get deeper into the winter and then and then spring arises? I found myself really liking a lot of the pitchers in the 9 to 13 range. And okay. it made me reconsider uh, what I've been saying since the start of October is that I plan to be taking two to three. Actually, I plan to be taking three of the top 25 You were starters. saying three and seven. Right, yeah. three in the first seven. And I'm going to be doing those live stream mock drafts, which hopefully you can take part in again in February. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can stream it too on on Twitch at the same time. And we can, on Twitch, so we'll be on Twitch and Periscope. So we can snipe each other. I know, <laughs> but, uh, but I'm going to be messing around a lot with just taking one if not, I mean, two, but I'm going to try and see if I can pull off one in those first seven rounds because I love, I love the hitting talent. I think it's very top heavy uh, this year, in, but deep in that top heavy for like the first six rounds or so. And I'm going to see if I can craft the team from there because I, I mean, I'm seeing Marquez go in the 10th. I'm seeing myself getting Hap and Freeland in the second, the 12th and 13th. You got Uvaldi and Hendricks in the same rounds. Uh, mm-hmm. Heaney and Tanaka also went in the 12th and I'm just thinking wait I can get an, a stud and then three four of those guys in those rounds and look I even I'm, I'm happy with Pavetta in the 16th uh, I'm seeing Josh James and Nelson and Skaggs go in the 17th I'm, I can get more stability in your Hamels and your Lester as we talked about too later on 19th 20th so it makes me think that I can actually have a staff I'm satisfied with and then go and get an absolute elite offense 
earlier on. So I, I think this is something I'm going to be experimenting with. And I, I don't know if I'm going to be having that same strategy of three starters in the first seven. Yeah, no, I, I think this is all uh, perfectly fair here with uh, w- with what you're talking about, about altering your pitching strategy. I, I did end up with just two in my first six rounds, and I was happy with, with Cole Paxton. I went with the early ace with Cole, and, and then went Eovaldi, Hendricks, Maeda, Hamels, and Will Sanchez there. One thing I noticed, um, and we talked about it already in this draft a lot, or in this pod a lot, was the late power. And so... If I do lean a little bit more on some of the batting average piece, which I actually did inadvertently, mind you, I didn't I didn't fully acknowledge that the late power was available or, or make it a strategy. But with getting uh, Rendon, Soto, Seager early, I, I did get some good batting average base at the expense of some of the power. Like they're, they're not power duds, but they're 20s. They're not the right. 30s. Right. But I can get some of the Renfros, O'Hearns, um, Franmil Reyes's, Randall Grichek. Uh, I'm not quitting Ian Happ, and I still think he's got high 20s, low 30s homer potential. And in fact, he's going to be such a nice buy low this year because his stock has plummeted. Uh, we talked about Tyro O'Neill, and there, there are plenty of others too. And so I think some of that late pop is going to have me still leaning toward the early batting average because it is rare. Corey Dickerson's kind of a, a standout where it's rare to get the batting average late. Jesse Winker's another late guy. You don't often find batting average late unless it has a wart. And I don't think that Dickerson necessarily did, just that he was he's kind of bland. But um, so, yeah, another thing, and this is just really the the circumstance that we're in this part of the year. It, it will it will stabilize as we get further. But for now, reliever is a nightmare. Closer is an absolute yes. <laughs> train wreck after the first like six or seven that you, that you might like. Maybe as deep as eight, but that's about it. And it's not even like, um, you know, you you don't like some of the guys that are named. You don't know who the heck is going to close. Right. And so much can still happen. It's because that reliever market is still so robust too. Adam Adovino could go be a closer somewhere. So could Andrew Miller. Cody Allen could get another chance. Like we have so many guys that aren't even signed that could become closers. And again, so that's a circumstance of being in December, but it is very muddy right now. So those of you who are doing drafts that count, good luck because you're you're going to be out there. You know, Familia was somebody I thought could go get a job. Well, he went back to the Mets, not getting a job. He's going to be behind Diaz, of course. And so... Be careful out there. I, if I am doing a draft that counts, if I'm doing like a 50-round draft and hold, I am more apt to go for a Trinan, a Leclerc, an Osuna, a Hand, Vasquez, Kimbrough, like some of the, the early guys just to stabilize there um, because I don't want to be totally left out in the cold with, with saves right now. So that, again, circumstance because it's December, but it's awful right now. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I it's interesting. I mean, there was like Alex Colomay to win the 17th. Okay, that was after, of course, he got traded from the Mariners to the White Sox, and he's most likely going to close. But even that, we don't fully know. We Yeah, Colomay. Right. Yep. And uh, I mean, I took a gamble on Hicks, but now even today, I, I published this article, and then like right after, I read something about a hybrid role for Alex Reyes. So yep. maybe Hicks isn't closing after all. It's it's such a mess right now. So that, that's a and great point. And I liked point. the Hicks pick, but we we don't, we don't know. know. So again, that's the thing. So it'll clarify a bit, but it, there's there is also that factor of the way the league is going, where they're not 
all that worried on anointing guys unless you have a Jansen or a, or a uh, uh, a Trinan or a, you know it, it, unless you have that that crown prince guy that Kimbrel. I don't think teams are that eager to say this is our guy. Right. Even a team is as much of a contender as they are as like Milwaukee. I think they're going to put Knievel back in the role, but I don't think it's locked in. Sure. Yeah. I think haters can steal some saves. I think Jeffers could still get some. You know. So. It's a crazy landscape right now, and you got to be careful with uh, with saves, and maybe don't let it go too far unless you plan on using multiple picks in a you know three to four round span in those teens rounds. But then you're bypassing so many interesting offensive players and starters, so that's why it's a it's a tough balance right now. Yeah, very very good. Point. Anything else? Any other takeaways that you had here in this draft? Not not too many, honestly. Um, I don't know what hitters I love in the 7th, 8th, and ninth. <laughs> that That's something, too. I feel there's going to be a lot of volatility in that regard as far as hitting's go, hitting goes. If you start seeing, like, that. third round, Benatendi Bryant is kind of the end of that first, second, third round talent, I think. Maybe even because... And then it starts second. to open up. Right, and then you have your Soto, you have your Rizzo, Rizzo Radone. But it's nice to see from this, we're finally seeing the, the landscape of, of hitters and how we all value them. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's it's interesting. I, I, I'm i going to be studying this a ton. This is super fun. I'm really happy we were able to do this. I appreciate you looking at- that you're a part of it, Paul. I appreciate you including me because, again, it was a shark tank and it was a lot of fun to to get some of this on paper. I know some people don't like mock drafts. I do. Um, I enjoy it. It's, it's a fun thought exercise. And if anything – do I really care about how my team is constructed? Be, to, well, to a degree, yeah, I'm trying to build a good team. But it's also getting me to think about different players. And and that's why we did the reviews on the pod here to talk about these players, not so much how they work with our team. Notice we didn't talk so much about, well, this gives me this many steals, so now I can compete in steals. We're talking about the players, the player types and, and what they can offer. And so that's why I do think there is some value to mock drafting. And it's a way to pass the winter because winter's yeah. stupid. <laughs> winter is remarkably dumb. and uh, But it comes every year. And so we have to do something. So right. I appreciate you putting it on. Had a great time. I loved that you had the intro. My new friend Steve Bogman is, oh is a great God. guy. I, I, I'm so happy to have uh, to have met him. I didn't know him before. I knew a guy named Scott oh. with the same last name. But Steve is a great guy. So thank you for putting this on and i look forward to being in the uh in the future pl mocks yeah, that we'll, you'll be running we'll definitely do this again next year uh 100 so let's maybe talk through the schedule a little bit here obviously i think next week we'll go ahead and say that that's going to be off for the holidays but what about the week after you think you'd have some time available in the week of the 31st yeah, i think you can make that work all right then we'll, we'll go ahead and get that and honestly um well no never mind i'm gonna be literally gone from the 24th to the 20th i'm going to vegas nice so i'm excited going to vegas for christmas so uh merry christmas to you and have a, a good holiday and uh, we'll talk in the week of the 31st likewise we'll have a great time and uh i'll talk to you then